So today is the 1st of November 2020, and we've come together with the intention of uh, cultivating samadhi. And the samadhi is the firm establishment of the mind. And there are many methods to cultivate this firm heart. And the middle way, the middle method, is that of focusing on the breath, of knowing the breath as it comes in and leaves, having mindfulness when the breath comes in. We know that. And then when the breath leaves, we know that. So when it hits the tip of our nose, then we know. And when it leaves uh, our nose, then we're aware of that. We can also use a meditation word in conjunction with the breath. So the word of Buddha, um, that's fine as well if that works for us. But what's important is not to control our breathing, not to force it to be long or to, sh to be short, but rather to allow it to flow naturally. For some people, when they focus on the breath, their mind will habitually control it. And for these people, it's appropriate to count along with the breath then. So as the breath comes in, they count one, two, three, four, five. And as the breath leaves, then one, two, three, four, five. Or you can count up to six, that's okay as well. When we feel like we've got that down, we're skilled at it, then we can drop the counting and just know the breath. As it comes in, we know it. As it leaves, then we know it. And after doing this for some time, peace will arise in the heart, and the thoughts that are going on will decrease. The amount of proliferation in the mind will lessen, and it will reduce in stages. In the beginning, however, it's necessary to endure. But as we carry on practicing, do it frequently, we'll become skilled at it. And the end result is one of internal peace, that the mind gathers into the state of samadhi. And in this state, joy arises, the mind feels uh, satisfied and contented. When joy increases, it will change into sukha, into pleasure or happiness. And, um, and then the meditation word that we're using will just disappear all by itself without our intention of that happening. And then after a while, the breath itself will disappear. It shows that the mind is really in a stable state of peace, and both the body and the heart feel buoyant. So as we're doing this, we cultivate mindfulness over our hearts. We have uh, the one who knows watching over the mind. And if we do this, then the peace we experience will increase. The mind eventually becomes very still to the point where thoughts are entirely absent. If we're at the state where the body and mind feel very buoyant, then there'll be a little bit of thinking going on. But as it becomes well-established in this calm state, it'll turn still and thinking will be relieved altogether. But in the beginning, however, 
It requires our training to develop this. And there may not be much peace, but that shouldn't become a cause of worry for us. So we just train our minds. We have efforts, we have energy, we forbear with the difficulties, and we increase the amount of time that we sit little by little. Perhaps in the beginning we sit for five minutes and then increase that to ten minutes, then fifteen minutes, half an hour, forty-five minutes, and then to one hour. And when we get to the point where we're able to sit for one hour, then if we gain more time during the day, then we can increase that as well. If we only meditate while sitting, however, then there can be a lot of aches and pains in the body. So we can get up and move about, do walking meditation as well. When we walk in meditation, we are restrained um, as we walk, and we lower our eyes so that our gaze falls about two meters ahead of us. As we place our left foot on the ground, we recite Bud, and as the right foot hits the ground, then we recite Do. At the beginning of the path, we know that that's the beginning, and then again we're mindful of where we are in the middle of the path, and then at the end, we know that we've reached the end. When we come to the end of the path, then we re-establish our mindfulness and sweep through our body from the tip of our head down to the soles of our feet, and then back up to the top of our head again. <laughs> then we turn around, um, making sure our mindfulness is with us, and we uh, continue our walking meditation. So this is a good way to change our posture, to relieve the aches that may arise from the sitting. So when we have the time, then we try to cultivate mindfulness. Um, but also during the course of our days, we have duties we need to engage in. <laughs> and many of us work from eight in the morning until five at night. And we also have to commute as well, and that can take many hours. So we train mindfulness as we're engaging in these activities. <clears throat> we can chant while we're traveling, um, and do this chant of itipiso, and do that many, many times over, making sure that we have mindfulness with what we're doing in whatever posture we're in. So in the Satipatthana Sutta, um, the, the first aspect of that is mindfulness over the body. So we recollect the body as the focal point or the, the object of recollection for our mind, <laughs> knowing what posture the body is in and also the movements of the body whether we're standing, sitting, walking, lying down, then we know that. If we're speaking, if we're eating, then we have mindfulness over those activities. And if there are thoughts going on, then we're aware of those thoughts. So if we know what's going on, then the mindfulness we have will become stronger and firmer, and it will steadily increase in our hearts. So we try to train ourselves in this way and do it continuously. Um, during our daily activities, we try to maintain our mindfulness, knowing what our bodies and our minds are engaged with. All the movements that go on, this is concerned with the body, so we know that. 
And as we carry on doing this, um, then the mind will settle down, become still and peaceful. And in that state, we may gain the feeling that this body is just a robot. It just moves around in accordance with the orders of our mind. So the mind sends orders to the brain, which in turn gives its orders to the nerves. And these then control the movements of the body. It's sometimes the case, however, that we may think of something. We may order the body through our mind, uh, but it doesn't work in accordance with our wishes. It doesn't move, it doesn't talk like we wish it to. And that's what happens when there is a problem. So maybe the nerves that we have um, aren't working properly, or our brain is becoming dysfunctional. And so the orders that the mind gives don't have the desired effect upon the body. When this happens to us, we'll gain um, a clear knowledge that the body really isn't self. Um, and if it was a self, then whenever the mind gave an order, when if, whenever it would tell the body to walk, then it would have to obey that order. But we see that really this body is just a collection of elements that follows nature. When we contemplate seeing that the body is merely a body, then we'll perceive its nature of not-self, that there's no being, no me, no other there. And in doing this, we perceive the emptiness of the body. There's no true self inherent in this body. And do we see that? Do we see its emptiness? For some people, this is an appropriate object of contemplation, to look into not-self, to see all things as being inherently empty. For those who are inclined towards wisdom, then the recollection of emptiness is an appropriate meditation object. Whatever we're attached to, we contemplate that, seeing it as not-self. And do this, you know, keep this object of recollection and contemplation as our mind's uh, focal point, as our meditation object. And this is the method of using wisdom to cultivate samadhi in our hearts. But if we are someone who is more skilled, or samadhi comes more naturally to us, um, then we use that. We use our um, collectiveness of mind to bring about wisdom. And then through this, then the mind becomes very still and peaceful. But if we like to contemplate, if we like to think about cause and effect and the reasoning of things, the logic in things, then we use that, we use our wisdom. And we allow this wisdom to uh, collect the mind in, to gather it in, to make it firm and stable. And even though samadhi may be quite small or weak, um, we use our wisdom faculty and contemplate a lot. And this will bring the mind to peace as well. This works too. So we work with whatever um, works for us, whatever allows us to come to peace. And when the mind is in a peaceful state, then it will gain knowledge. This vipassana or clear seeing will arise through our contemplation that happens with panya.
So all these practices, whether it's anapanasati, knowing the breath as it comes and leaves, they're all for peace of mind. And then when we gain that, we can contemplate, contemplate the body, seeing it as just being a heap of elements that have come together. And this is appropriate for those who are inclined towards wisdom. We see the body as just being a heap of earth, of water, of fire, of air. And if we can separate those out, um, then we'll see the emptiness of them. And in seeing emptiness, then we perceive Nibbāna. So when the mind is peaceful, then we take up the body as the object of contemplation, seeing that it's not sure, it's inconstant, it's something that is unattractive. And in doing this, the calm of our minds uh, increases slowly but surely. When we are able to separate the body out, to see it break apart, and this means that we have gained wisdom. And uh, emptiness uh, comes up through that. We can contemplate in a way that allows us to see into not-self, to see that there's really no me, no other there, that all these things are conventions. And when we see conventions, then the mind becomes liberated. This happens little by little, however. Uh, but what's necessary is that we try to train ourselves in this. All of the problems that arise in our lives and in our minds, or sorry, all the problems that arise within our minds, um, they happen because of the presence of clinging and craving in the heart, attaching to physicality and mentality. And this is the cause for stress to arise. This is the second noble truth. And if stress has already arisen, that shows that the causes and conditions for it are present. So how do we solve stress? How do we make suffering not be suffering? Well, we have to walk this path of sila, samadhi, panya, of uh, ethics, and samadhi and wisdom. And this path has eight factors to it. And when our minds walk this way, what we're doing is engaging in a struggle. This fight between the kilesas and the maga, the path. And that's what happens uh, for us practitioners. If the strength of our mindfulness and wisdom is quite small, uh, then the kilesas will swamp over our minds and we'll be engulfed in attachment and craving. A sense of self will arise. And when this happens, we need to contemplate into that and see that there's no self within that. When we, um, or when there's a lot of energy uh, in that attachment, this will be become a cause for us to be stuck in the cycle of samsara. Um, but when we allow our minds to be freed from delusion, when we practice so that they are absent of moha, and then they abide above the world, they become lokutara. So if greed, hatred and delusion are able to be present or arise within the heart, it's because we have clinging and craving as well. 
and these become a cause for stress and suffering. The suffering has been with us for a very long time now. So we need to practice together to really try to train our minds um, so that we can relieve ourselves of this suffering. And that's what causes us to come here to practice. And it's something that we're all very intent in doing, um, that we come together every day. We've got the faith to do this, to chant, to meditate, because we see the benefits of this uh, cultivation and we see the danger of allowing the heart to be afflicted by the kilesas and pushed around by these defilements. Because the body, it steadily decays, it's constantly deteriorating. And our minds, they depend upon this body, so they also feel pain when the body is afflicted. Whatever happens to our bodies, and that also happens to the mind. But if we're able to gain dhamma and gain panya, then we'll see that the body is merely a body. And if there are any aches, any pains within that, it's just the body. It's just the pain of this physical form. So we train our minds to see it as just being something natural. Lift our minds up till they're able to see this. Um, that they can understand that this is just something natural that happens. And if they can do that, um, then the mind will feel very spacious and open and very freed. It means that we've seen the truth, that we have cut the number of lives that we need to take um, down, that that becomes less and less. The greed, hatred and delusion in the mind uh, gets steadily reduced. So this is why we train our minds, why we have this intention. We try to do it, try to build up this peace little by little, gain wisdom steadily. In the beginning, for me too, it was very tough. Um, there was a lot of disturbance in my mind, it just wasn't settled. I listened to the Dhamma and I tried to practice meditation, but I also wanted really quick results and this brought up many doubts in the heart. But there was one day where I listened to a Dhamma talk and I was able to perceive the truth of those words, see that all things are just conventions. And my mind gained a very clear understanding at this point. There was a great brightness there, the brightness of liberation. My mind was drawn out of the world. I saw that death was slowly closing in upon me, that all conditioned phenomena are unsure, they're unstable, they're unreliable. could see that uh, the nature of sankharas, or, uh, sankharas is just to arise and cease, arise and cease constantly, that there's no self to these things. And faith arose, joy arose, and it stayed for three days and three nights. That there was this, this great satisfaction, contentment of the heart, something that I'd never felt before. And I saw clearly the benefits of this practice, the, the truth of what meditation is able to provide was very clear in my mind. 
and all of the doubts that I had were relieved at that point. So I knew that this, the practice it provided fruits in this way, it had these results, that there was this great sense of inner satisfaction. And I also knew that the more wisdom I gained, then the more happiness would come to me. And eventually I would be able to find true happiness. I understood that all the things of this world, they're not permanent. This body, it doesn't last forever. And when the body goes, then everything of this world goes as well. And that's what the body has to meet with. It has to meet with death. So we can um, consider that if we live to the age of 80, how long have we got left? Every single day, our lives, or the amount of time that we have left in this world, is steadily reducing. And this will allow us to not think too much about the things that are going on. If we're 60 years old now, we've got 20 years left. When we turn 61, um, that time reduces. If we're 65, then there's just 15 years left in this world. And that's really not a long time. So there was one venerable senior arahant during the time of the Buddha who saw into the nature of the world and saw that there's no leader of the world. This was very clear, the understanding that he had gained. He saw that there's no satisfaction to be gained here. There's no point of being satiated that this world is a slave to craving. It shows that this Dhamma was very clear and bright in his heart. So when we contemplate that, that there's no leader to this world, we'll understand that really the world is following old age, sickness and death, that these things are what lead the world. We understand that everything here is just temporary and eventually we have to throw our bodies away. When there is uh, helaces coming up and there's attachment that arises, um, then the mind will find a new birth. And this is what happens every single lifetime that we gain. If there's no wisdom, then we'll just be born into suffering again and again and again. Every single birth we take, we just meet with more and more stress. There's attachment to this body again. A feeling of self comes up again. And in the end, we have to throw this body away in the world again. And that's what it's like every single lifetime. We can't count how many times this has happened. When there's attachment and clinging, we just follow that. And we get uh, drawn into the cycle of birth and death that never ends. And so the Buddha taught that there's no perceivable end to it, and we just can't count how many times we've been born and how many times we've died. It's extremely long, this cycle. And we can't find the first birth that we took. It was so far away in the past. We can liken it to like a, um, like a ball of uh, thread. And if this ball of thread 
um, or yarn is 50 meters wide, then how are we going to find the end of that? Um, and that's what the cycle of samsara is like. And actually 50 meters is just uh, too little. But the cycle of samsara is even longer than that. The amount of births and deaths that we've had is even more than that. There's no perceivable beginning to it. And even if this ball of yarn was 1,000 kilometers wide, that's still too little. Even 5,000 kilometers is too little. And we can think, well, how can we possibly find the end to that if um, this ball was 5,000 kilometers wide? And that's just the past. But what about the future, the next lives that we take? How many more births are there going to be? How many more deaths are there going to be? Well, it's uncountable. It's limitless. That if we don't understand the Dhamma, then it goes on without end. If there's delusion and attachment, then we'll carry on taking another birth. But while we need to be alive and to uh, take or be born into another life, then we should use that to develop merit and build up our barami, ensuring that the next life that we gain is as good as it can possibly be. That if we need to be in the cycle of samsara, then we try to make that uh, a good place. That when we uh, are born, we try to cultivate this path of sila, samadhi, and panya and not allow ourselves to get born in a lower realm. At the very least, we take a human birth, and we try to cultivate our minds to the state of a deva. And we carry on with this cultivation, raising up the level of our hearts until they reach Nibbāna. So therefore, in this life, we really give it our best. We try to cultivate wisdom as much as we can try to see into the nature of uh, anicca, dukkha, anatta, of inconstancy, stress, and not self. And this is what will allow us to escape from all suffering. As we practice, then the amount of suffering that we experience in samsara and the length of samsara will steadily reduce. So may all of you set your hearts on training your minds uh, well.